I ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you're joining us for the first time this evening, we have been working through the letter to the Hebrews, and we are now in chapter 12. And the Lord willing, as we move along, we will close out the book in the next month and a half. Tonight, our passage is Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. Children, here are your questions for this evening. How has God spoken to us? What is the message of the gospel? Three, what does Jesus promise to those who believe in him? And four, will the kingdom of heaven ever end? Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, this is the word of God. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you that you have spoken. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us ears to hear. And tonight we pray that you would give us the ability to hear you well. Lord, that we would receive from you that which we, each one of us here tonight, needs to hear from you. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our lives. You know that your word is very precise, penetrating to our inmost being. And so, Lord, we pray that as we move from your word, which has always, already spoken to us so clearly, to the preaching of your word, that you would use the preaching of your word to bring forth that penetrating, piercing word to our hearts. So please send your Holy Spirit in a special way, minister to us, Give us tender hearts. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the will to respond appropriately to what we'll hear tonight. As we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God has spoken, and the God who speaks is a jealous God who demands and commands our full allegiance and our full devotion and our wholehearted worship. God has all always spoken. He speaks through his creation. His creation displays his handiwork, the light of nature. Through creation and providence, God speaks of his being to us. That's where our confession starts. It says that he reveals to us enough goodness 
wisdom and power to make rejection of him unexcusable. However, because of our spiritual blindness, we don't have the sufficient knowledge of God or his ways that's sufficient for our salvation. So God chose to speak in some very clear ways. We have that recorded in the Old Testament. Through his works of power, his might, his miracles. So many things speaking of his glory in the Old Testament. Extraordinary acts. In his mercy and in his grace, he provided for those things to be written down. So that we have his word. God speaks to us through his word. The Old Testament law, the prophets, the Psalms. And now we have the gospel. For our good, he's put it into writing. The clear message that he sent to us is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We heard that this morning. I want you to turn to the beginning of Hebrews, and I refer back to this as I have a number of times, because this really sets the pace for what the author is proving throughout the letter. Many things that he addresses, but... One of the things that's repeated is God has spoken, you need to listen. And that rejection, resistance of what God has said is a very dangerous, very spiritually foolish thing to do. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has spoken most clearly through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. We keep coming back to the fact that God has spoken to us again and again, speaks to us clearly in the gospel, but not all listen. And the fact of the matter is that whenever God speaks, we're hearing the voice of a jealous God. And again, I'll repeat it, a jealous God who commands, demands, deserves wholehearted devotion, wholehearted commitment to him. We hear the voice of God. We need to listen. This isn't the first time the author has warned the people of the Hebrew church that they ought not to harden their hearts like their forefathers did that came before them. The covenant people that so often harden their hearts to God speaking very directly to them. The author of Hebrews says, don't you either harden your hearts. He's speaking to the covenant people. Don't refuse him. Don't refuse him who has spoken. What does refusing God look like? Well, it has to do with closing our ears, hardening our hearts, disobeying God as if we didn't hear what he said. So many different forms of resisting, refusing God when we refuse to listen and to heed his word. God has spoken. God has spoken. I want to summarize some of what I believe are the main things of Scripture that God has spoken to us and how it has bearing on what we're reading here. God has spoken, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think on good authority from the word of God, I can say what I'm about to say. But God says, I am 
I am God and there is no other. And if you go after other gods, you will perish. I, God, according to scripture, God says, I am a holy God. And you are sinners. And the wages of sin is death. And if something's not done with your sin, then you will face death. Not only the first death, but the second death. I am holy. You are sinners. But I am gracious. And I've provided salvation for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will have eternal life. I have spoken. And if you go your own way, if you lean on your own understanding, that will lead to destruction. But again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Take up your cross and follow him. It's a big summary. Pretty broad, but pretty pointed, pointing us to Christ. God has spoken, don't refuse him. The author says, there's no escape. You might think by plugging your ears or hardening your heart or running the other way that you're going to escape accountability for what God has called you to do. But there's no escape. No one escaped, he says, when God spoke from the earth. No one escaped. The people of Israel, the covenant people of God, when God spoke, they didn't escape. Those who obeyed were blessed. Those who didn't obey were cursed. But no one escaped. When God spoke on earth, and I'm assuming here, and there's some different takes on this, this is when God spoke on the mountain. We read about that last time. Still a voice from heaven, but through Moses, speaking the commandments. Remember, the people didn't want to hear anymore. They couldn't hear. It was too awesome. And it was an earth-shaking voice when God warned them from earth of what it meant to harden their hearts against him and to disobey him. He had given them positive commands, but there were also warnings about disobedience. Well, the author of Hebrews says, if that's true about the old covenant people, how much more if you refuse him who spoke from heaven? How much more if you refuse him who sent his son, the word, the logos from heaven to earth to speak to you? How much worse is it if you refuse to hear the gospel? Those who refused in the old covenant, the consequences were temporal, eternal also, but were by and large temporal. God's wrath meted out on earth, plague sent, people destroyed when there was disobedience. Blessing with obedience, but, but no one escaped. Consequences. The whole generation couldn't cross the Jordan because they hardened their hearts. Even Moses 
couldn't cross the Jordan because he hardened his heart in a way. But that was temporal. Just because someone didn't cross Jordan didn't mean that they didn't enter the kingdom of God. We know better. We know Moses is alive right now in the presence of God. But it was a portent of refusing the much bigger thing, the gospel itself, the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more if we reject Christ, the everlasting consequences. Because there's no other way to be reconciled to a holy God than through the Lord Jesus. And if you harden your hearts and you plug your ears and you turn your back on the grace of God through Jesus Christ, there's only one expectation. And it's rejection by the holy God. Now the first voice, you might say, that earthly voice, again, shook the earth. The voice, with that voice comes the shaking of the earth, but this voice, this voice will shake heaven and earth. The gospel is an earth and heaven shaking message. The coming of Christ is an earth and heaven shaking incident. And there are things that remain and there are things that don't remain. And the things that don't remain will be consumed one day. So the better part of spiritual wisdom would be to set our minds and hearts on what's, what lasts, on what remains. What, what is that? What is that? Focus on what remains. Well, the overarching view of our lives is to take us beyond this, spiritual, this material world and to take us beyond things that are bound by time. Much bigger things. Not that we would become so heavenly minded that we would become no earthly good. We're to be productive here. That's our kingdom call in this life. But our view is to be much, much bigger than the things that will be shaken and will be consumed. And I think in some ways we would include in this much of the material things that we're familiar with are not lasting things. But I think the focus here, important as it is to not hold on, to hold loosely to the material things of this world, important, important as that mentality is this, is, this is much bigger. This has to do with everlasting things and the difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And I think the first application that the people of God then needed to be aware of is that there is going to be a dramatic overturning of things that were made by hands in the year 70 AD. Remember, if you can think back in Hebrews, we're told that we don't come now to a temple made by human hands. There are things of the Old Testament order that were very material, very touchable, sensual in a good way. Things of worship, things that, that you can handle and touch and taste. The temple and all the things in the temple and all the worship. And that's about to be consumed in its own way on earth. 
And I know that last time I overstated it, I think, when I said all Jerusalem's going to be dust. That was a little, little dramatic. But when 70 AD does come, there's a radical change. And that the things of worship that were ordained by God in the Old Covenant pass away. There's no temple. There's no sacrifices. They're all fulfilled in Christ. It's all part of God's plan, right? That, that it would no longer be that they would need to meet in this one place and there would just be this one nation under God. No, now God's people would worship in spirit and in truth, part of God's plan. It's what Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well. You won't worship in that foolish, godless temple over there, and nor will you worship in the right temple in Jerusalem. That's going to be gone, paraphrasing, but God seeks those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so that, I think, is the first unfolding, but we need to understand that that doesn't stop, that doesn't end the kingdom of God. It might have in some of their minds. But it's not the end. With all the calamity that Israel goes through and all the destruction, the kingdom advances and grows and continues to grow to this day. That is a sign, a powerful sign of even greater things. We're to understand that the current order of things is not the way things are going to be. The kingdoms of this world are not made to last, and they don't. The whole order of things outside and against God's will will crash down and be consumed with the kingdom of darkness. That's a much bigger thing, isn't it? And if that's the case, where should we set our focus? This current order of things will be passed away. If all the things that sets itself up against God will pass away, what should be our focus? It should be on those things that remain. Things of the kingdom. Things that last forever. The kingdom of Christ is an everlasting kingdom where Christ reigns and rules now and he will reign forever and ever. And so for the church as a whole, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the everlasting kingdom and building that kingdom with a view that one day it will come in all its fullness. But this also has to do with individuals. Because we all have souls that will never die. That's what remains. Souls that will never, ever die. And so we ought to think, according to what the author says here, and according to what Jesus says, we ought to think about what we're investing in. I want you to turn back with me to Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Could refer to many different things here. 
about this very issue of our everlasting souls and our investments, but I can't think of many things more powerful than what Jesus says in this parable. Remember, these two brothers are bickering over an inheritance. And I love how Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. He's not a litigator. He's not there to settle this petty issue between these brothers. He shifts the focus and and has the man look to bigger things. Pick up in verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, not only the man, but those listening, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up his treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Oh, the man was probably right. He had things that would last him many years in this life. He could feed his belly. He could be merry as far as temporal things were concerned. But when the day of reckoning come, he had nothing. No riches in heaven. The ultimate fool. We have souls that will never die. And our our main pursuit above all every every other pursuit is that we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think it's fair to ask where our treasure lies. Jesus says where your treasure is there will your heart be also. It's a fair question, isn't it? Where is my heart? Where is my treasure? They're one and the same either on the things that are passing or the things that remain. We're to keep our eyes fixed on the things that remain. 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse, I mean chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Remember here, if you're familiar with the passage, talking about the Lord's return, and some are saying, he's not coming back, he's taking forever, it's not going to happen. And Peter says, don't forget that there was once a flood, God destroyed the whole earth with water, and now there's another another event coming that that we ought to keep in mind. And I don't want to get all into the interpretations here, but I do want you to listen closely to the response that we should have in light of the fact that there is judgment and destruction on all the ungodly coming. Pick up in verse 8. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How ought we to live in response? Lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, that we're to respond. How does he say it? Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What's the appropriate response? Do you realize that in Christ, you're heirs of the eternal kingdom, co-heirs with Christ himself? How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? We're so earthbound and so weak in our responses. Well, here's two things that we'll, we do now, and not nearly with enough fervor, but that we'll be doing forever. Living lives of gratitude. Living lives of gratitude. Seeking to serve the Lord, seeking to obey Him out of gratitude for what He's done for us. You think you're going to stop thanking him in eternity? I don't think so. Acceptable, awe-inspired, reverent worship? Is that what we do now? I hope we do. He's the same God that spoke from the mountain when that thundering voice, he's spoken to us through Jesus. He speaks to us now. How do we respond in worship? Is it with awe-inspired, reverent worship? Well, I trust it is. But do you think your worship might be a little more magnified, glorified, beautified in heaven? It sure will. Well, there's one thing we don't want to miss here. And it's not an add-on. The end of our section is this. For our God is a consuming fire. You want to know the seriousness of what the author is saying here? Our God is a consuming fire. And he will purge from his presence any remnant of sin. Sinners, any darkness. A hot furnace. Refining fire. A consuming fire burning off all the chaff of unrighteousness. Remember how I began by saying the God who we hear, the God who has spoken, is a jealous God? He's a jealous God. And this jealous God is a consuming fire, and once again, he calls people to worship him. He commands it, he demands it, and he deserves it. He's the same God who worship now 
that the covenant people were to worship. To close, I want to look at Deuteronomy 4, and I will close with this passage and let it speak for itself. But the author of Hebrews is echoing this passage. Note the context as I read. Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 15. God has warned them and encouraged them. He's calling them to obedience. And then this. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water, under the earth, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me, Moses speaking, was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care. Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. And make, make a carved image of the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Let's pray. Lord our God, we are so thankful that you have delivered us from worshiping the creature, worshiping things, worshiping passing things, investing our things in things that will not remain. We thank you that you've delivered us from worshiping ourselves, making ourselves the center of all things. But instead, you've delivered us into your kingdom, where your people worship you, Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, worship the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've not left us to worship foolish passing things. That you've taken us out of the kingdom of darkness that will be utterly consumed in the heat of your wrath. And you've brought us by your mercy because our Savior Jesus bore the wrath that we deserved. You've brought us by your mercy into your everlasting, glorious, beautiful kingdom. Lord, help us to be productive for you doing our kingdom work here. Lord, help us to always keep our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus Christ and the things that remain, that we would invest in the things of heaven where we trust our hearts truly do reside because that's where our treasure is. We come to you in the name of our greatest treasure, 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.